He said this, uh, Pope Leo the Great is one of the first popes, well, it is the first pope that has the name Great, Magnus, at the end of his name. And so uh, he begins the tradition of the great popes. And what made him so great? What made him stick out from the other ones? He was certainly not the first pope, but he was a pope in my favorite century, towards the, the end of the, uh, of the, uh, at the beginning of the fifth century, uh, and he was at that time of that imperial church that I talked so much about. The, uh, the Pope kind of became the Pope under Leo. I mean, he's really what makes the papacy, what becomes the bishop, what is the Bishop of Rome, becomes the Pope as we kind of know it now. That he extends his influence, his jurisdiction, but moreover his teaching beyond the city of Rome and pretty much up until St. Leo the Great, well, the Pope, being the Bishop of Rome, kind of stayed within the limits of Rome, the city of Rome. Pope Leo the Great uh, be, uh, maintains a correspondence with bishops as far as Spain, Astorga in Spain and France, rep uh, responding to issues that are having, happening over there and keeping that dialogue and that kind of uh, uh, correspondence with them offers his insight and his teachings to whatever problem, especially when it came to heresies and they were seeing there were the same things happening in different regions, he offered his instruction to there. He kind of kept tabs on the farthest reaches of Christianity, being that at that time Spain they hadn't made it to Britain really yet. Also, the, uh, the, the Pope had made a contact with the council, with the, the, the ecumenical councils that were going on in Constantinople. In fact, he was kind of the only pope that really reached out so far to those councils. Most other popes just had sent representatives, but they themselves weren't a part of it. Leo the Great was a part of it, even though he wasn't present, but maintained the correspondence known as the Tome, which was basically his interpretation to establish or to understand what is Christology today, the two natures of Christ. And that was what was in, uh, in, uh, in question at that time. And perhaps where we get the sense of the gospel and also the antiphon and the prayers of the, church, uh, of the mass today. When you hear the gospel, we hear that Jesus, who goes to Caesarea Philippi, asks the disciples, who do you say that I am? Well, at this time of the church, in that debate that was going on at the end of the fourth century and spilled into the beginning also of the fifth century, the question was exactly that. Who is Christ? How do we know Christ? And so we had known that he's the Son of God. But at that time, in the way of thinking the Son of God, well, that, to be divine, to be the Son of God, seems to come into con conflict with human nature because we're not gods. So how can the Son of God be both Son of God, divine, and human at the same time, and man? Well, that's what the ecumenical councils went out to, uh, to address. And so that question that Jesus says, who do you say I am, was addressed over the course of almost 100 years to get to the end of that. The tome or that correspondence that Leo sends to the council establishes what becomes also the Catholic or the Orthodox position in that the nature of Christ is both to be man, fully human and fully divine, not half and half, not a compromise of the two and not one that overshadows the other, no fully human and fully divine. And so we can say really the birth of Christology or Christology is established 
and there in these councils, and especially with Leo's instruction and his understanding that represents the papal understanding uh, in, uh, in the Roman understanding of, this, of that debate. Still, for me, at least the historian, Leo the Great becomes also great for another thing that he did, and this is something that would, I would like to study a little bit more. Leo the Great saved the city of Rome from invasion. And so right at that time, also, the Western Roman Empire was crumbling, and though what they called the barbarians, but those kind of Gothic tribes from the north started to spill into Italy, and one famous Attila the Hun was making his way through, destroying and conquering everything he found. It was just a matter of time before Rome was in his sights, and in fact it was. He had crossed over already into Italy with plans to invade Rome and sack Rome or take it over. At that time, the emperor was out in the east. He really didn't go back to the west again. And so it was the pope, Leo the Great, who goes out and meets Attila the Hun outside of Milan in what is perhaps the most mysterious moment of history. We know they both go to speak, and we don't know what is said. But whatever is said, Attila turns around and leaves Italy. So the pope becomes pretty much the defender of the city or the defender of Italy at the same time in that that, uh, that, sure, uh, that sure sacking of Rome was spared from there. And so uh, one thing that I was working on my own and since the, the title, there was a title, a Roman title called Defensor Civitatis, the defender of the city. The defender of the, uh, of the city was a title normally given to the Roman, what today is basically the, uh, the, the what do you call it, the, um, the, the public defender is what, what it was. So the defender civitatis a lot of times was, if you had to go to court and obviously you couldn't afford a lawyer, well, there was one that would go and, and, and defend you uh, uh, free. It's what we call the public defender today. But later it became the literal defender of the city the one who was able to raise an army and defend the city when the Roman Empire had crumbled. I think that's one title that we can give to him. The last time it was given was to Pope Pius XII, who prayed for the city of Rome during World War II and it was spared from the bombing and major destruction. I think certainly St. Leo the Great can deserve that title of defender of the city, for he did defend Rome, he did defend Italy, and of course the church of this time. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.